An owl hooted, and Vado shuddered. He both loved and hated this part of the forest. He loved it because here, in the deepest, oldest growth of the exalted wood, he could feel the presence of the forest mother far more than he could anywhere else, even in the heart of the colony. But he hated it because it was dangerous. Unlike the false deities worshipped by the elves and men who lived nearby, the forest mother didn't care at all about protecting her flock. True gods don't expect worship, and they don't reward it. And because of that, there was nothing other than Vlados' own wits to keep him safe here. And if the rumors he'd heard were true, if the false god in Absalom really was dead, then the forest was even more dangerous now than normal. The Keone had been more active in the forest lately than anyone could remember, and if they caught him, even if they didn't learn why he was here, so close to their lands, they wouldn't think twice about killing him now that they didn't have to worry about retribution from the Aslanti. And if they did find out why he was here, Vlado shuddered again. If they knew why he was here, death would be the best he could hope for. Finally, he came to the clearing he was looking for. In its center was a massive tree, wider around than any building in the colony, and so tall that looking up he couldn't see the top. It disappeared well above the surrounding canopy, itself easily over a hundred feet high. The tree was pitch black, heavily scarred and twisted, and looked almost like it would be wet to the touch, but he knew better. Vlados approached the tree and took out his knife. He looked around but didn't see anyone else here yet, other than a massive silvery owl a few dozen feet up in the mother tree. Vlados took breath, steadied himself, and placed his knife against his palm. Just as he was about to draw blood, a voice came from above. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No need for any of that uh, Macbeth stuff. You're good. Vlados jerked his head up in shock. Sitting in the tree where the owl had been before was... A man? Or maybe a halfling? It was hard to tell from the distance. As he looked, the strange man dropped from the branch and plummeted down. Before Vlados could shout out a warning, the man... Blinked? It was hard to describe. One moment he was hurtling towards the hard forest floor, the next he vanished and reappeared, standing at Vlados' side. You, uh, you must be Vlad. Nice to meet ya. No fangs or anything, huh? Tell me, you can at least turn into a wolf? I, no, I'm, I'm not a shifter. I, I am Vlados Ingrava, yes, but I am a normal man. He looked closer at the strange man before him. He was short, almost certainly a halfling, but his proportions were off. His arms and fingers were long and thin, and his head seemed larger than it should be. He also wore the strangest clothing Vlados had ever seen. He had an odd, garishly yellow doublet, with strange, square-padded shoulders and a deep V in the neck, showing off the almost painfully bright pink-collared shirt he wore below it. There was some kind of cravat tied at the neck of the shirt, itself a bright lime green, but he'd never seen one with a strange hanging flap like this one had. His pants, the same horrible green as the cravat, were simultaneously loose and crisp, hanging down to his ankles, but with sharp creases running down the front. His shoes, a bright white that seemed impossibly clean for having just landed on the forest floor, had no ties or laces and sharply squared off toes. Finishing up this impossible ensemble was an oddly shaped hat with a jagged, geometrically repeating pattern of yellow and black shapes. It was shaped vaguely like a teardrop, with a short brim that turned up in the back to press against the crown, and a red band running around it, to which was tucked a single large silver owl feather. The man smiled, but Vlados continued to just stare at him. This is who I've been in contact with. This madman. What's the matter? You're looking at me like you've never seen a guy in a blazer before. Blazer? Vlados looked, but nothing about the outfit, other than maybe a few of his color choices, could be said to be blazing. I, I must apologize again. I'm very confused by the things you're saying. You are Mr. Itch, the one I contacted. Yep, the one and only. 
Actually, the, uh, the name is Halifax F. Lingstrom, but you can call me Hal, or you can keep calling me Mr. H. No skin off my teeth either way. He has skin on his teeth. Vlados stared again, paying special attention to the man's smiling mouth. So, uh, I like awkward silences as much as the next guy, but we have a business transaction to make, right? Yes, that's correct. I have the items you asked for. Some of them were quite difficult to acquire, but I was able to gather them all nonetheless. Glados removed the heavy pack from his back, filled with a strange, seemingly nonsensical assortment of herbs, creature parts, minerals, and various possessions secretly lifted from others in the colony and from the small villages near the borders of the forest. The strange man, Halifax, snatched the pack away and opened it eagerly. His two long fingers pawed greedily through the contents, occasionally pulling something out. An ivory comb, a bit of cinnamon bark, a dead beetle, and then nodding to himself and tossing it back in. Alright, this looks good, and uh, in return, Halifax waved his arms in a flourish and suddenly produced, seemingly from thin air, a thick tome bound in a pale, wet-looking leather. Stamped into its cover was a golden symbol, though it wasn't the one Vlados expected to see. That is not the symbol of the forest, mother. It almost looks like the symbol of your- Ah, shut it. Vlados broke off halfway through the name. Names, uh, names have power. You'd think someone in your line of work would know better than most, but I guess not. And yeah, it ain't your forest mom symbol, but is that really surprising? I mean, how many goats do you know who've written a book? So, you get the key in the gate. You asked for a Tome of the Dark Tapestry, and I'm giving you a Tome of the Dark Tapestry. I, I guess that makes sense. It will still work for what I want. It, it can be used to contact the Forest Mother. It can be used to contact whichever out of God you, you want. Though, I don't know why you're so dead set on drawing attention from guys like that. Not the smartest thing to do, but you do you, I guess. Halifax held out the book, and Vlados grabbed it. As he touched the tome, he had a flash, less than a second, less than the blink of an eye, when he thought someone else was standing in the clearing with him, there and gone. He examined the symbol on the cover. It reminded him the spiral of Phrasma, the survivor. The reason for all of the pain and suffering of this universe. He wasn't sure he was comfortable using something with a design on it so close to hers, but it would have to do. He ran his hands over the strange leather of the cover. What is this? I thought it might be skin at first, but it is not. Oh, it's skin alright, just not human. What you're holding there is genuine elf hide. Elf? Well, sea elf to be specific, which is nice since it means it's waterproof. Vlados looked around nervously. It was bad enough he was here meeting with an emissary of the Dark Tapestry. If he was caught by the Keone holding a book made of elf skin, there was no saving him. Handshaking, he opened the book. He frowned as he flipped through page after page of tightly spaced, spiraling characters that seemed to almost wiggle and blur. What, uh, what... Language is this? I do not recognize it. It's an Aklo. Aklo? Interesting. He hadn't heard of that language before, but it was okay. He could cast comprehend languages, and others in the colony could use read magic. The book could be deciphered without issue. Thank you again, Mr. Hal. It was a great pleasure and a great honor to do business with you. The strange man smiled. For a moment, Vlados thought the smile looked cruel, and he caught the briefest glimpse of something else under Halifax's appearance. Something small and pallid, with large eyes and sharp teeth. But then, like the feeling of the third figure in the clearing, it was gone. There was just the strange, small man smiling jovially up at him. Believe me, the pleasure was all mine, Vlad. You, uh, you take care now. And... Just between you and me? He motioned Vlados to lean down. Next time you 
decide to mess around with contact entity spells. Vlados leaned even closer as Halifax lowered his voice more. Suddenly, a hand with far too long fingers and a grip like a vice latched painfully around his wrist. He was pulled forward until his face was almost touching the creature in front of him, which now didn't look anything like a halfling. Leave me out of it! Vlados reeled back, ears and nose suddenly streaming blood, his entire mind ringing from the force of the command, and fell to the ground. After several moments, the ringing stopped, and Vlados shakily sat up. The man... no, the thing that called itself Halifax was nowhere to be seen. He heard an owl hoot again from somewhere above, and it almost sounded like laughter. Gripping his new tome tightly against his chest, Lado struggled to his feet and began moving as quickly as he could out of the deep forest and back towards the colony. This is Pod Against the Machine. Welcome back to Pod Against the Machine, the only Pathfinder actual play that runs directly into the meat grinder, over and over, because that's what we're programmed to do. I'm your host, and here's everybody. Hello. My riot is not yet suppressed. Nice. Try it. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. So dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see. Previously on the program, I should know this. We just did this. Uh, we had the party was reunited, and it felt so good, except that they were in a barn full of mysteriously missing dead bodies and one actual dead body of Dara Belgroom, the Technic League subcontractor. Uh, the party looted her body, went over and talked to the owners of the winery, who kind of accidentally admitted that they'd been paid to set the party up. Uh, so that was nice and the party decided you know not to actually inflict any real consequences on the owners of the winery other than bad mouthing them at the next uh, sip and paint uh, i what are those things called oh um the, the no, you got sip? it sip and paint yep. paint yeah and sip. that's right it's where you get drunk yeah. with the pottery wheel right yeah that's exactly. the, oh yeah. yeah that wow that is a real thing yep. yeah no you're right. so cool i love it <laughs> but um Knock on Wood Winery, or as we now know it, Elon Tusk on Wood Winery, um, <laughs> will not be getting the contract for the um, torch, paint and sip, or whatever you call it. That It feels like there should be something catchier, is what I'm saying. Um, after that, the party went back to Torch briefly to collect a booklet of expired coupons from Charlie the Lizard Folks Chicken Emporium. And uh, hung out with Connor Bain for a little bit to do some recon on Furkish Yowd. Uh, found out he was a Xyphus worshipper, which is always heartening. And then flew on back on Long Dreamer. Uh, had a little bit of introspection, took a nap, and went into the tower. Uh, Brixby took a few turns to actually open up the door there because somebody had broken off the doorknob. But once they got inside, they found a hallway. And the hallway had three doors in it. They chose the stinkiest door. And the stinkiest door held riot suppressor robots, which proceeded to attack immediately, non-lethally, and ineffectually as Kira just just shredded them. As everyone else just kind of hung out. I mean, Asher shot them a couple times. Rixby nerfed their saves. Alwyn mostly did healing. And Hira just... Hira. Kira just hacked them to bits. <laughs> Kira, as they're calling Kira her. Kira the Hira. Portmanteau <laughs> of hacking and Kira. <laughs> so that's where we are now, amongst a pile of dead robot parts. Do we see? Well, I guess no, we don't. We don't see any. Do these robots smell like meat? Are they the, the, uh, the robots? Do not smell like meat. Well, I have no more ideas. Kira, there's a bunch of stuff in the room behind the robots. Ah, it's probably fine. Guess we'll step on in there then. 
Before we open any more doors, I don't believe we took the time to tell you about this amazing sword that Sazadu can. It may come in handy against these... Oh, the amazing sword! Against these robotic foes, should we encounter any more. And then, yeah, Asher, Brixby, and Alwyn can explain the wonders of the Nullblade. Imagine um, Bricks presents it over an arm. It does everything Ethel does and can paralyze robots and destroy spells on top of that. Nice. <laughs> cool. I will add that to my sheet at some point this evening. Yay, new sword. Here's just... I think, isn't there... Can't you take a feat to use a bastard sword one hand? Exotic yep. weapon proficiency bastard Ugh. sword. Yeah. Whoa. So if you take that at some point, you can use it with a shield. Well, <laughs> or another shields, bastard sword. But I do sword. like one hand. <laughs> a second Nullblade. <laughs> I'm thinking I can yeah. use it while grappled. If we get, like, if the rolls we did about, like, all of the high-level people having one, we probably will get a second one. <laughs> yeah, we can get you to D2 Barbarian mode yes. very soon. <laughs> uh, speaking of shields, these each of these Riot Suppressor robots had a heavy steel shield and a Masterwork Warhammer that looked pretty fancy, but it's just Masterwork. So they are regular Warhammers, then, so it was a property of the robots that let them do non-lethal, not something with the hammer? Yeah, they had a weird okay. special ability. They have, like, levels in Thug or something like that. That's the that's the rogue yeah. one that has the crazy... Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. It's half Starfinder, so they all have Merciful yeah. Weapon Fusions. Probably. That is probably what Merciful Weapon Fusions are based on. Well, what do we see in this room? Stuff. Oh, all right. Fair. Good enough. Let's move to so, the next room. <laughs> so this room is um, filled with, looks like, mundane storage for the most part. Uh, spare furniture, pipes and fittings. There are also casks of water and casks of wine. Of course, knock on wood winery brand wine. There's also, like, crates of meats and grain uh, stored here, which have gone just gross, and they smell quite bad. Oh. Uh, do you have some of those Elon Tusk's own wood winery stickers to slap over this existing labeling on these casks? It's really bad for the brand. Yes. It's fine if you don't. <laughs> Kira's in a corner just, like, scribbling on a blank sticker. I await the fan art of a drunken boar knocking on wood. <laughs> Be wrapping a door hand door. Oh, that sounds like a mid-journey request to me. It's true. The bow door. Um, is there anything in in this room that isn't mundane? Uh, if you wanna take like a a perception check to search a little more thoroughly. Why yes. Roll the thirteen for a twenty-eight. Well, um, with the twenty-eight, uh, Brixby finds like a a toolbox that is mostly garbagey mundane tools in it but there are 11 batteries in there it's well, not nothing <laughs> just holds them out to Kira and Asher yeah Asher would replace the battery in his booth boot since it was down to 6 charges y'all wanna split these? y'all, y'all wanna split these? No, you, you got boofing and you got bashing to do I mean I don't they're all in a sack together. I believe I'd need five, but I might take two or three. That's true. We just throw them in the back. But maybe just hold on to one or two for the... You never know when you're going to boof. Those stairs going up in the corner? Uh, yeah, it's a iron spiral staircase that looks like it goes up. Do we want to ascend or do we want to clear the other rooms on this floor? Make sure nothing's behind us. All right, see you. Lots of nodding in our video chat, which we use to communicate with each other in game. Uh, <laughs> Asher will speak into his walkie-talkie <laughs> at Brixby right next to him. I think we should clear this floor first. Nine and nine, a big daddy. <laughs> Over. Brixby insists on the, the dirtiest trucker talk if we're going to oh, no. Oh, no. We're keeping it PG. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, let's clear You can just floors. imagine <laughs> Brixby's incomprehensible Birmingham dirty trucker dog. <laughs> oh, no. Getting real balmy smarmy with you on the on the, the radio right now. No, that's that's Patreon content. Subscribe to our new tier. 
Um, <laughs> Brixby after hours on the radio. Brixby it's gonna happen now that we've said it. <laughs> oh boy. So shall we north through the quiet door or through the Brixby-sized wishing door? Maybe start with the quiet door and then we can move on All to right. wishing. We'll take a look and see if it's dripped. It's a uh, 31 or a 32. If it's high-tech or mechanical. It doesn't appear to be trapped, nor locked, just another of those bulkheads. All right, he gives it a little spinny-do, continues the stand where he is standing. Well, popping open in this particular door reveals a hallway that wraps around in a sort of rather precipitous curve, wrapping around sort of the center of the building. And the hallway is decorated with schematics of incredibly complex machines of some kind, mounted in elaborate wooden frames and hanging on the stone walls all around the this hallway. There are drawings of like metal monsters, strange vehicles, and other technological wonders. Uh, the hall curves all the way uh, from the north around to the eastern end, where it ends in another staircase going up. But before that, there are two doors, one kind of going southwest and one northeast. Seems we've found more doors. Before we head through these doors, more doors. Could we roll a little knowledge engineering at these sketches and see if we learn anything? Yeah, go for it. Knowledge engineering. It's only a 23 from Brick's Bean. Um, Ooh, I think. Baby! And that's a natural 20 for a 34 knowledge engineering on these schematics. Wow. (laughs) Well, with a 34, I think Asher catches sight of a schematic that is a drawing that, I mean, it looks like a person or a partially formed person in like a glass tube. That it's kind of reminiscent of the tube you found Connor Bane in, but it's kind of more reminiscent of the stuff you found in the Aurora. These sort of tanks that were built for the construction of of androids, and you find like he's got notes scribbled on them in in a hasty hand that basically describes that these are fluid-filled containers that seem to um, basically grow the androids inside them, and most of them are damaged, which screws up the the creation or generation of the android. But some of them they fill up with the tanks with a liquid that looks to be water but is has more of a a briny kind of sensation to it maybe these serve as nutrients for the androids that are growing inside they seem to develop and um, somehow gain consciousness from just growing in these tanks it's just a cool, cool thing but um a little ways away as Brixby's looking at at one of the drawings maybe it looks kind of familiar let's say he's looking at a, a drawing of like an arachnid kind of robot uh, with a big laser tail mounted on it. Looks not dissimilar from Hellion's chassis. Looks like maybe the the scale is different, or it's not quite the same, but you know it looks fairly similar. But as he's doing it, the drawing kind of distorts and gets all smoky, and there's this weird kind of whooshing around it, and then all of a sudden. A face bursts out of the door. Let me just pop a little image. And Brixby gets punched. A face bursts <laughs> out of the wall there. Just a nice kind of face with um, orange leaking out of its eyes. And um, bursts out. And what am I doing here? Punch and a, a voice says, Get out of my tower! There's work to be done! And I'm going to need everyone to roll for initiative. Oh. Oh. Uh, so what did Asher get for initiative? Uh, only a 12 off the dice for a 17. All right. How about Alwyn? Alwyn got a 17 for a 24. And Kira? Bringing up the rear again with a 11 total. And how about Brixby? Bribby rolled a 19 for a 27. Well, nice and fast as this uh, smoke monster has burst out of the uh, wall right in Brixby's face. You get to go first. Brixby um, is going to go, 
and then take a uh, five foot step to the southeast and uh, with a stop popping that thing at me and with a motion and a sound is going to shoot out a couple scorchy doodles do you need spell resisto for me uh no no spell resistance yeah of course you don't all right so here comes the first one that's a 13 versus touch <laughs> um, that is not going to hit all righty here comes the second one that's a 17 off the die so a 25 versus touch all right that'll hit all righty and that is 14 points of fire and if it is sneak attackable, it is 15 points of sneak attack. Um, doesn't seem sneak attackable. Mm. And it doesn't seem like that fire does anything. <laughs> That's what Brixby does in character. Let's out a little gallows laugh. Um, and just like, oh, 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 oh this, this sucks. I'm going to roll a knowledge religion. Um, yeah, religion. Alrighty. So 27 with a 14 off the die. Uh, this this definitely looks like a ghost. You can ask questions about... You can ask a couple questions about ghosts. Um, it would be a knowledge local to get anything about, like, class levels. Yeah. Alright, so how many questions do I have about the ghost? Because I would also like to roll a knowledge loc. I would say two questions about the ghost. Okay. Zach, the player, knows this. But how would you tell me about its horrific special touch attack? <laughs> this is what I'm thinking of. Um, you might be. Where is it? It's not even. It's not in this yeah. page. I gotta look it up. Special separately. attacks, but I assume it has corrupting touch, like every ghost, and is going it to does screw have... my life up. <laughs> it does indeed have corrupting touch. What the heck? Corrupting touch is not coming up in the rules. If I remember from running ghosts, it's like a 66 touch attack that sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. totally is like negative energy, screws your life up. All right, cool. I just wasn't sure if you. Yeah, you're right. It's. Yeah, it has a corrupting touch uh, attack. Um, doesn't have great ability to touch people, but it is a touch attack, so, you know, it hurts. It hurts bad. All right, friendos. Do we want defenses that we probably already know do we want to know the lowest save they're spooky do do we want to know like the special abilities what y'all interested in i always like defenses because i don't know them but be potentially a waste if you all do i'm just the only what i meant to say was that it it's usually just like incorporeal and that's usually like screw you enough as is because it's like mm -hmm. most stuff is 50% unless it comes from yeah. a ghost touch. Yeah, it um, has, you know, your incorporeal trait, so it, it can't, it's immune to precision damage unless it comes from a ghost touch source. Uh, it takes half damage from any magical source and no damage at all from non-magical corporeal sources. Also has channel resistance. Uh, you already saw it. That's, that was going to be my thing, because I can do a tiny little mini channel, but... You also saw it, um resist fire um already and um i think you would know about ghosts also is if you kill them unless you fulfill specific conditions they come back after a set amount of time bummer we're not gonna we're not gonna do a lot of damage unless we use the the ghost touch also don't let it touch you if possible stay at range i know it's gonna be hard for you big stuff and uh, I'm gonna, sorry to make this the longest turn in the world. I apologize everyone, I'm not trying to play that guy. But I'm also gonna roll local real quick, because it's free. And that is a, only a two off the die for a 14. I think that's enough to know that, that this guy's some kind of a wizard, but uh, I don't think you really get very much uh, with a 14. That's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I rolled like absolute hot garbage. Don't tell me anything. All right, that is the end of my turn. And Brixby passes it on. All right, uh, Alwyn. Uh, Alwyn, really the only thing I have that could hurt it would be, like, my touch cure spells. They're only going to do half damage, and I'd have to get up in its face to use them, which is dangerous. You don't always have to hurt it. You can also 
disable or blind it. You know what? He can do that. Uh, uh, he is going to cast Glitter Dust in a way that doesn't hit us if I can do that. Yeah, if you cast it right here, you're good. Yeah, it will, it'll hit him without hitting Asher. Okay, perfect. So he is actually going to five foot step just because otherwise I feel kind of cheaty because he technically couldn't see that square from where he was standing. Uh, so he steps behind Brixby and casts Glitter Dust uh, 10 feet to the left of this ghost. And he has to make me a will save, yes. All right. Uh, that is only an 18. That misses. It is a DC 19. So the ghost is blind. Blind ghost. <laughs> For seven rounds. It's not very nice at all. All right, Asher. Uh, Asher is uh, unprepared for this combat and will need to spend a standard action to draw his plus one pistol out of his pack because he's been strutting around with these Master Rick revolvers. Well, before you roll, I um, just happened to be looking at the rules for incorporeality. Um, corporeal spells that and effects that do not cause damage have a 50% chance of affecting incorporeal creatures. So why don't you give me a d100 there, Alwyn, on that? Ooh, hoping for higher Hope I'm hoping for low, because that's only a 12. Um, you're supposed to say... You're supposed to say, say, and then roll again. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, I was asking the GM what I'm aiming for. I assumed that was him deciding. We've always done over, unless otherwise. I was going to say over, I assume, is what passes, so I'm assuming that means he's not blind. It's a weird nebulous Ugh. thing. I usually do high, personally, but... It's okay, I can cast that... Uh, seven more times all right it's not blind all right i'm back to asher's turn excellent asher will stow one revolver the one that is full of mundane rounds then he'll retrieve his plus one pistol and that's uh seeing as that ghost is not blind uh he will take a five foot step to the south to avoid being full attacked by a corrupting touch and that was his whole turn. Mad effective for Mad Ups. All right. Well, since the ghost isn't blind, he's just going to say, Oh, you want a fire, do you? I'll show you fire. He's going to drop a fireball on the party. So I'm going to need reflex saves from everybody. And that's fireball as the spell, right? Uh, yes, indeed. Thank you. So 21 from Brixbow. All right, that's a pass. How about... Dirty 20. 20, also a pass. How about... Another one got a natural one. <laughs> That'll be a fail. And how about Kira? <laughs> that's a 19. Uh, it's also a pass, so everybody passes but Alowin. Uh So let's see here. Alowin takes 33 fire damage. Everybody else takes 16 as this ghost dropped a fireball on you. And, um, Kira, you're up! Uh, Good great. news. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with a rage. Let's do that. We know that works. I want to stab it with my icy burst dagger, because I feel like I don't have anything. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know that I have anything else that works. Uh, the chainsaw is a plus one weapon. Oh my god, I can use a chainsaw? Oh my god, I'm using the chainsaw. Yeah, you can I'm chainsaw. Using the chainsaw. I'm using the chainsaw. Natural enemy of ghosts. Excellent. This is this is fantastic. I know I totally forgot about that. So I am gonna move right up in its face and just risk that touch, and then just chainsaw it a little bit. Oh, that one hurts me. That's a two total, and I think let's see. So I moved. I took my turn. I don't get a full attack because I had to move. So I think that's it. Yeah, what, what was the total on that? That's uh, I mean, well, two plus what, seventeen? Yeah, that's. Remember, they're a wizard. Oh, fair. Well, <laughs> it's, so. it's not enough. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's that's gonna be me. That's my turn. All right, Brixby, you tried to scorch this doodle, but it was not to beetle. Bribo disappears, and uh, that's my turn. I'm I'm gonna move a little bit. But yep, that's my turn. All right, Alowin. Uh, Alowin is. Is Kira out of the radius if I 
yeah, she's out of that. Uh, he is going to uh, attempt Glitter Dust it again. Because why not? He's got seven more of these. Alright, uh, give me that D100. Uh, he will once again cast on that same square, which will have it end right at the end of his square. That would be a 30, so... Alright, once again, the magic, you know, the glitter puffs, but it just goes through the ghost. So that'll be his turn then. Alright, Asher? Yeah, Asher's going to start with a knowledge religion he didn't do in last turn. Oh, hey, finally a good roll. Uh, it's a 26. Yeah, 26 will tell you this is definitely a ghost. Do, you said it would be a loke to know class levels. I, I guess Asher is trying to to determine, is this... Hey, Fergus Shoud came down to the ground floor, boss fight as soon as we walk in, BB? Or is this, uh, I don't know, something else? I would say, since you've seen Fergus Shoud on video, you can be fairly confident that this is Ghost Fergus Shoud. Okay, alright. Taking a reel out on a limb here and going to swift action smite evil. I know, it feels excessive. Uh, I'm, I'm guilt. I feel guilty even just saying those words, but I'm doing it anyway. And you, you know, you just let me know if this has the effects. I'm hoping it does. And then uh, we'll take a deadly aim shot with trusty old plus one pistol uh, with all the juicy do do we do of smite. That is a. It's in the twenties. I mean, in the 20s versus touch seems seems sufficient. It would be a 25. <laughs> there we go. I got there. Well, that's assuming. Well, I guess it would be a 21 if he's not actually evil. Right. I'll keep that in mind, but you're pretty sure you've hit him. Okay. Um, and then my first successful attack would be two points of damage per paladin level, assuming this is, in fact, an evil creature, and ghosts seem rather undead to me. So... That is going to be a Blasma D8. Found it, of course. Uh, so that is 17 bypassing any DR, but because it's incorporeal, I'm guessing it's still half. So that's a solid 8 damage. So it is evil. Might be. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a lot less than that. Alright, then... Yeah, single shot, swifty, uh, move action, he'll reload, and that'll All right. that'll do it. So let's see here. Um, we're back around to the ghost's turn. What the ghost is going to do, it's going to drop a little cloud. Five, ten, four, let me just check. That's a radius? That's so big. It's so big. That's just enormous. Yeah. If it's if it's fog cloud or stinking cloud, it's huge. Yep. That is so big. Alright. Well, um all of the sudden the ghost uh, summons a horrible life sapping miasma of a cloud. It just fills the area and each of you take four negative energy damage. Yeah. And um, and he says, Get out of my tower if you know what's good for you. And then he sinks into the floor and um, he's gone. So um, on Kira's turn, since Kira's turn is next, she takes six negative energy damage. Uh, you're still in initiative. What would you like to do? It should be noted that you can't see more than five feet. I'm going to hold my turn until someone who has better ideas tells me to do otherwise. Hold, delay, I'm never sure which word to use. Activate your mask. All right. Um, Brick Brixby, you take seven points of negative energy. Before I'm able to activate my mask? Um, at the start of your turn. All right, I activate my mask. That's a... Okay. Is that a standard action or a move action? Don't remember. I can pull it up. What are they called? Filter mask. Don't worry, I Google stuff. Alrighty. It doesn't say in the description, so... I... It just says when you're wearing it, it gives you a plus two. Uh, no, it gives okay. you a plus three when you're wearing it to saves versus inhaled toxins and diseases. Um, when you power it, it makes you immune. Um, 
I'm going to say since it doesn't say, it's probably a standard. That's fair. Yeah. So standard action, um, power it, and move action. Uh, oh, free action. Going to shout, power up your masks. And still a little bit before his vanish runs out. So he's going to stay where he's at. Yep. That's his turn. All right. Alloin. Uh, five negative energy damage. Uh, Alloin will also activate his mask at the start of his turn. Going anywhere or anything else? I mean, he sank into the floor. I think the only... You said that that counts as a standard, so he will not be doing anything else. All right. Asher, uh, seven negative energy damage. Gross. Just for the record. Weirdly enough, Asher also will activate his mask. And then... This thing went down to the floor. We've only seen staircases yeah. that go up so far. Is that right? And then there's so many doors. We should probably all be opening different doors at the same time. Just ready actions. One, two, three, go. Yeah, I guess Asher can five foot step and then open this door to his south east because I'm a chaos gremlin. All right. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a staircase down there. Maybe he'd be to see him waiting there. And he's like, ah, oh, oh, man, he opened that door. All right, it reveals a room beyond. Oh, yeah. Look, looks from here vaguely kitchen-esque. It's like Minesweeper. All right, uh, Kira, it's your turn. Seven negative energy damage. Okay, and then I'm going to activate the mask. See? See what holding a turn gets you? And then uh, ha- I guess having seen Asher open a door, we'll also open a door. Let's head down to this one. Oh, I'll head down to this. Nope, that's the stairway. So I'll just go to the one across from Asher and also open that. You don't have enough actions. Oh, I don't have the... Yeah, that's right. I forgot <laughs> I have activate. Okay, so I'll just move to the door and indicate it with my body. All right. Um, that brings us back around to Brixby. And despite the fact that your mask is on, you feel like this horrible cloud is like burning into your skin. It's like everywhere. It's not just breathing. Oh, uh, it's a- is it acid fog? No, it's not. God. It doesn't feel like acid. It feels like just horrible badness just hurting you in weird, hard to describe ways just... that like... It's like they want a GM to have trouble explaining to you what's happening. But you do take six <laughs> points of negative energy damage. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like you guys are just putting bad words together. I move out of the room uh, to the full extent of my into Asher's newly opened door area. I am just like, let's go. And uh, yep, that's it. Full extent of my movement. All right, well, you've run into a simple kitchen. <laughs> Uh, This kitchen shows signs of long neglect. There's a pair of stoves standing cold on the north side of the room between tall shelves stacked with jars and dishes. Along the west wall, a wide sink brims with pale mold. The center of the room contains a butcher's table, above which hangs an assortment of knives, cleavers, and pans. An odd-shaped tub protrudes from the southwestern corner of the room. And, um, Alloin, you too will be taking four more negative energy damage. What would you like to do with your turn? He is going to follow Brixby into that kitchen because he is at 11 health right now. Uh, So what he's actually going to do is he's going to move. Yeah, this is only 15 feet, so that's still only a single move action. And then he is going to... I've put a healer before. I can cast healing spells on myself, right? A touch spell? Yeah. He is going to cast Cure Serious Wounds on himself. Uh, So that is 3d8 plus 7. He will just uh, heal himself up, and we can move on to the next turn while I roll that. Alright, Asher. Just a little juicy six points of negative energy damage as you stand next to the door so close to not being in this horrible miasma. Yikes. You're gonna stay in the cloud, though, right? You're gonna stick it out. <laughs> Do the right thing. Thought about it, uh, but now he'll he'll step into the kitchen for a moment too and see, you know, take a look around, see odd shaped tub, which was my nickname in college, and then yeah, he'll just ready in action to take a single shot if the ghostly form of Fergus Shout apparates and or otherwise appears within 25 feet. All right. Well. Now that everyone is out of the cloud, Stepping I'm going to clear the initiative counter unless anyone feels like and nope. they're going to walk back into the cloud before it goes. 
Well, I think we'll, we'll clear initiative. We're out of encounter mode at this point. The cloud is still hanging out for a little while, at least. Do we see anything inside the kitchen that's useful? Um, do you want to search the kitchen? Yes, it's a 28. Why don't you roll me a d100? Oh, dear. Is, any, <laughs> is anyone else searching the, the room? Not after that. <laughs> eight. No, Asher's doing space drugs. You rolled an eight? Oh, God. That was so yep. bad. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so guess what? While, what? while Brixby is um, searching the room and just sort of moving stuff around, maybe he's touching a knife on the butcher block, he feels like a little string attached to a knife he's just picked up that goes into the butcher block, and there's some kind of resistance, and as he's feeling that, all of a sudden, the door of one of the stoves pops open and a cone of fire bursts out of the stove. I'm going to need a reflex save from everyone. Is this a spell or spell like ability? <laughs> fire? Nope. Oh my god. Oh, what no. the heck? Oh my god. Oh god. Oh, I rolled a nat one for an 11. <laughs> um, so Brixby definitely fails. How about uh, Kira? That's another 19. Oh. You said reflex, right? Uh, yeah, reflex. Um, 19 fails on this oh, this particular save. Yikes. Um, how about Asher? Asher's got the healing nanite gun just plunged into his side. And then just, <gasps> and leaps out of the way with a 23, hopefully passing. Uh, 23 passes. And how Ooh. about Alwyn, the one who might actually die from this? Uh, Alwyn got a 4 on the die for a 10. That is my highest save, but I rolled very bad. So that's a fail. And this cone of fire that belches out of the stove does 42 damage to everyone who failed. Oh. And 21 damage to those who passed, oh. which I think was only We had only no idea. <laughs> okay, so... Oh. Uh, yeah, he is 100% dead. I feel like I'm not emotionally prepared to deal with this on a Thursday. Wow. Oh, does anybody have the trauma pack plus on them? I mean, we have it in the bag, right? Or does, is Asher holding that trauma pack plus for just such an occasion? Because he is standing next to Alloway. Uh, I mean, it's, he's, not, he's never been holding it. It's in his well, backpack. Move and action. he looks. Yeah, what? if it's in his pack, it's a standard action. <clears throat> oh, is it a standard action to retrieve? Yeah. Anything short of a quick release. We'll be able to like jump into initiative and see if Brixby could go ahead of him and give haste. <laughs> I mean, you have a, um, basically you have Kiri, Kira and Brixby's action economy here. Can you get the trauma pack out and get it into somebody's hands fast enough that you can... And that's the thing, is that like I thought we had figured out that like there's only one person that could potentially use it, and that it just like unless someone is standing there holding it it doesn't make the action economy, right? This is like what we ran into basically with Vargas, is that like... Well, we have, though, if one of them grabs it out of the... Isn't that what Sam was saying? Like, one of them can... Yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying is Jeff takes a full action to pull it out, and then one of them being... No, one of you pulls it out and... Heel, yeah, Izzy, that's... You're can't saying, somebody else take it out and he can use it? Well, one of you could take a full action to take it out of... I, I'm down. That's what I'm saying. I have a negative 10. Oh, a negative, a negative 10. I'm completely down. I can't do. Oh, you're down. Okay. I didn't know what you meant. I thought you were talking about like your heal score or something. Sorry. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm up. I, I can take it out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, basically Kira would have to grab the trauma pack. Yeah. Out of... I mean, I'll try it. Like, and I mean, Asher, I'm telling you that Asher doesn't know. He just sees Brixby and Alwyn drop and Asher the with and I don't know Akira is still up and barely I mean he would think wow that was awful and spend two of his lay on hands to do a channel and try and bring everybody back up like he doesn't would it be would he be visibly like could Asher free action perception see that he is like burned with crisp I think in that moment like if if he sees Brixby and he sees two people go down yeah his reflex would be burst, heal, 
all of us just get hit with a literal fireball. Yeah. Because Brixby looks dead too. Yeah. Right? Like, like he's at a negative yeah. 10 for negative 12, yeah. or sorry, negative 14 con. So he's. So that makes sense. I'd say that he, just in terms of not meta, but. They both look like, oh, oh God, what happened with this knife block? And he would, he would channel like just like instinctively with like Caldera's power. Like, all right, let's burst a, a heal and, and then hopefully everything's going to be okay. He pulled out this space drug gun with like all these canisters. Like he was ready to just nanite for, for a, a while. And before he could get two actions off, this just like happened. He wasn't, he didn't like have his backpack out, get ready to like do first aid. This just like happened. And even if he knew, which he doesn't, you've got a, uh, I have a plus six. So I'd have to, you know, I've got just over a 50% chance, but he doesn't know. Like he doesn't know who's dead. And if he did, he's been with Brixby from day one. He would try and use it on Brixby. Uh, so fantastic max lay on hands, uh, turned into a channel, 12 points of healing bursts out. Uh, and then he's going to realize what happened before it's, you know, that's too late. Although, now that Brixby's up, potentially, somebody could try. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the 12 points of healing brings Brixby back from the brink of death to lying on the ground, conscious and still horribly burned. Kira, I'm going to assume, is badly hurt, but not that badly hurt, <laughs> comparatively. And then Alwyn did not wake up, and he just looks... I mean, just awful. You basically got two fireballs in a row. And uh, Asher sees Brixby pop up. It's like, oh, Brixby coughs. <laughs> what? Just kind of looks up with that, like, dazed look that, like, survivors of, like, explosions have, right? Where, like, it's just that kind of vacant, faraway, blown-out face and looks down at Halloween. Halloween, you all right? And he is just... I imagine I talked before that he's got like weird skin that's almost like a shell. I think it just looks like maybe cracked, like glazed. And uh, something very strange happens in that, like, in an instant, like almost as if you blinked, there's somebody standing over him. And it looks like just like a hooded figure. It doesn't look like anyone anyone's seen before, but for just. A fraction of a second, all three of you think it looks like somebody that you know very well. Maybe Kira might see, like, uh... Parda. Parda. Bricks might see even, like, somebody like his brother. Like, you know it's not them because this thing doesn't look anything, but for just a fraction of a second, you think that's who you see. And then, again, without seeing it move or anything, it's just gone. How are we doing this again? Oh my god, sorry, that's not in character, it's just like, what? What is that? What do you mean, what is that? What do you, how is that the first question that you're asking? No. We just, you, 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 you touched something and there was an explosion and now there's this, this is a, this is one of his weird Alloin things. He's, he's, he's fine. I, I think Kira's just up and looking around, not touching anything. Not gonna touch anything. No, I think the only thing we can do right now is... Carefully, once that cloud has disappeared, go out the way we came. We don't open any other doors. We don't step any other places. This Xyphus worshipper, well, he must be rather pleased with himself. He did it on purpose? I think there's a chance everything in this tower was a trap. We should should get out of here and think about what to do next. I think Brixby, after what Kira says to him, is just going to sit in shock. Because the way that she framed it, it was his fault. I know, I feel so bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Brixby just stops. He just like sits on the ground and waits for the smoke to clear. And he doesn't talk. And he doesn't move. And the, the smoke doesn't last much longer. Just a, a few more seconds, so 30 seconds or so. After the explosion, it's all kind of just faded away into nothing. I think during those moments, Asher would be trying to patch people up. Because he doesn't know whether we can even safely make it out, and we certainly don't want to walk out of the room at, you know, Brixby's at two. I know. I mean, anything else in there could set off another... Yeah, we have to leave 1,000% the way that we've been. I know this isn't the time for medical treatment, but we need to be... I would rather be us be in our full strength 
than worry about consumable resources. So he has a few more lay on hands he can expend to patch us back up. Rixby's still pretty shell-shocked. He's just sort of staring straight at Alwyn's body. Let's put him on the disc. So I think if you load Alwyn up on the loading disc, Asher's patching everyone up and the, the fog is long gone. Apparent ghost of Fergus Shoud hasn't reappeared and nothing harasses you on the, the way back out of the tower. You can get back through that doorway into the hall where you met Fergus and, and the corpses of the three robots that um, Kira shredded um, are still in the same spot and the doors that you opened are still open and um, down you go back to your moth buddy and uh, I'm going to bed oh man <laughs> like night Sam. Sam good night Sam night Sam Property of Network Against the Machine LLC, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are property of Paizo Publishing. See their website for more details. Theme Against the Machine was written and performed by our own Zach. See the show notes for additional music and sound licensing. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to leave us a review. There is a blinding flash. A feeling of intense, smothering heat, and then, the sensation of falling. Alowen knows he should have hit the ground, but he hasn't. He tries to open his eyes, but he doesn't seem to have eyes. He tries to reach up to his face to check, but he doesn't have arms, or even a face for that matter. I wish I could see. And then, suddenly, he can. He sees his shadow? No, it's a doorway, but it looks like his shadow. And though it's getting smaller and further away as he falls, he thinks he can almost make out a form somehow slumped in the opening but not falling through. He sees other forms crowding around it, but it's now too far away to make them out. I wish I wasn't falling. And just like that, he stops. He isn't standing. He still doesn't even have feet but he's no longer falling. He looks up again, if up even has any meaning here, but the doorway is gone. He's in some sort of endless void. Strange colors, most of which he can't name, kaleidoscope around him in every direction. Strange bubbles in the same myriad nameless hues float in uncountable numbers. He has no ears, but he can hear when they pop as well as an odd, tuneless piping, seemingly coming from everywhere and nowhere at once. He has no nose, but he can detect an odd odor when the bubbles pop, something that he feels should probably be unpleasant, but instead is almost comforting in its familiarity. Strange, wispy shapes snake their way through the void, sometimes looking solid as stone, other times as insubstantial as smoke. They seem to spin and swirl and writhe with no rhyme or reason, but he knows almost instinctually that there is a pattern to them, just one he can't understand. Where am I? Nothing answers. He doesn't know why he thought something would. What happened to me? This time, there is a response. He's suddenly no longer in the endless void. He's floating, still unsubstantial, in a small kitchen. He watches as another version of himself smiles absently. A small rat man near him, I know him, don't I? Touches something on a counter, and suddenly the entire room flashes white hot. He sees himself in the rat man lying charred on the ground. A large, orange-skinned girl and a young bearded man with a strange aura around him 
both also clearly badly burned, are trying to help them up. But the version of him on the ground isn't moving. Oh, so that's what happened. His mind drifts, and he returns to the void. Time doesn't exist for him. He doesn't know how long he floats, nor does he care. Occasionally, a thought crosses his mind, and, as with the kitchen, he finds himself somewhere else instantly, with no effort expended. He watches as a large, three-eyed fish-like creature compels several strangely dressed men with pointed ears and webbed hands into its lair. He listens as a proud, booming voice announces the creation of a place called Absalom and the dawn of a new human empire, and a crowd roars back praise. He smells brimstone and steel and blood as demon hordes erupt from the earth and raise a mighty city to the ground. He tastes an intense, nearly unbearable sweetness as several bemused mortals begin biting into the succulent fruit left out for them, all oblivious to the glowing ball hanging above them, laughing maniacally to itself. He feels the pressure of a hand squeezing his, and a sharp, tearing pain in his lower belly, and stops. His mind focuses in, and the rest of his senses join in. He's again floating ethereal, this time over a small, clean pool, freshly dug and filled in a clearing in a forest. Four figures are there, three in the pool itself and one standing on the edge. He recognizes Mother Lucia, kneeling in the water, though she looks younger than he ever remembers seeing her. The man standing on the shore is also clearly a much younger Elder Vlados. He's pacing nervously, sometimes looking like he wants to step into the water and sometimes like he wants to simply run from the area. I've never seen him look so unsure. The third figure, furthest into the water, is another man. He's dressed in the white robes of a colony healer, but the symbol on the back is wrong. It isn't the ragged spiral of Tawalat Umr. It's a circle of horned heads. That's the symbol of the forest, Mother. How strange. He wills himself closer to the final figure, the one whose senses he knew he'd just been sharing. He sees a young, half-elf woman. The lower half of her body is under the water, and there's something wrong with her. Blood floats in the pool around her. Her long, nearly golden blonde hair is matted to her head by sweat. The tendons in her neck stand out with the strain and pain of whatever is happening to her. Mother Lucia is holding her right hand tightly. You have to relax, Eowyn. This isn't a normal birth. Pushing isn't going to be helpful here. The man in the wrong healer's robes has a soothing voice, but... Elowen can tell he's distressed. This isn't going how he expected it to. Can't... can't you just cut it out and heal them both after? Elder Vlados sounds so scared, so unsure of himself that at first Elowen doesn't even recognize that it's him speaking. Like I said, this isn't a normal birth blood. She's already not taking healing. Something's blocking it. If I try and remove the child by force, it could kill them both. Do you really want that? No, he doesn't. Elowen smiles. Mother Lucia, unlike Vlados, sounds exactly the same. Her voice full of that unwavering confidence he remembers so well. Eowyn, love, you heard the man. You have to relax. You're hurting yourself. Elowen smiles more, finally understanding what's happening. He knows that name, and he knows the voice Mother Lucia's using. She only uses that sweet low voice in two situations, talking to him in private about something important, or reminiscing about a very specific person. He tries to reach out to touch the straining woman, to comfort her, forgetting he doesn't have a hand to reach with. His eyes that don't exactly exist widen as he sees one of the strange bubbles from the void appear and move towards her. The bubble reaches the young woman and presses against her chin, raising it up. The bubble pops, and the woman suddenly slumps down, relaxing her tensed muscles. She opens her eyes, which are a piercing, almost unnatural blue. She looks directly at Alowen. The woman smiles, and mouths something. He tries to get closer, 
to better make out what she's trying to say, but suddenly her body tenses again, and another, much heavier rush of blood appears in the pool, seemingly enough to turn the entire thing crimson. It's out! Don't let it drown! Eowyn! Eowyn! Inger, can you heal her now? Try! As the shouted voices of the others in the pool begin to overlap in their excitement and panic, Alowen fades back to the void. She seemed very nice. I wish I could hear what she said, though. More time that isn't time passes. He visits more places, more times, and then he sees the doorway. One moment there's just the swirls and the bubbles. The next, there's a hole, seven feet tall, three feet wide. My shadow. It's my shadow. Strange. But instead of seeing more swirls and bubbles in the doorway, as he can vaguely remember being the case all those ages ago back when he had corporeal form, he sees a silhouette, its details impossible to make out from the bright light shining through behind it. Elowen drifts towards the doorway, then stops. He thinks about the things he can see, the things he can do. He realizes that he can answer all of his questions now. Why didn't I think of that before? The answer comes to him right away. He didn't think about it because he didn't have a will of his own until the door opened. He had rejoined the endless void of space and time from which he came, and there was no need for questions or answers there. He drifts closer to the door and sees that the figure in it is straining, holding it open. The bubbles and swirling matter around him get thicker. He thinks he can make out other shapes behind the one holding the door. Shapes that he recognizes. He reaches the doorway. The matter around him is now so thick that it's hard to see through. He can suddenly sense another presence in the void. One that he knows has been here all along, but that he was too mixed in with before to feel. As he gets closer to the door, as... He gets closer to being himself again. He's separating more and more from this other presence. He realizes he's at a crossroads. He can stay here, let himself sink back into the void, or he can go through the door to whatever is on the other side. Alowen closes his eyes that aren't eyes, smiles with a mouth that isn't a mouth, and makes his decision.